So I did return to the movies like I told y'all I would. It had been a while and nothing was moving me to get back. So I didn't go. And I still haven't seen Top Gun Maverick, which I know we talked about a few times on this show, but maybe this weekend. Maybe I'll stop teasing y'all with that because I keep saying you might get a review, you might not, and you probably won't, but who knows? We might go see it this weekend just because I don't think there's anything coming out this weekend of importance. And that's the only way I would go see it if I had nothing else. So, and man, it's pretty much gone. I just, I don't know about that one. But I have gone back to the movies and I've seen two new movies in theaters. You might be surprised about one, but you won't be surprised about the other because I've talked about it so much. And that's Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg, one of my favorite directors that I've discovered recently. And I actually saw his movie last Saturday. And, uh, Who's this podcast for? This podcast is for movie reviews. Kind of was last week too, but actually reviewing movies this week, which I did last week too. I think I did Friends of Eddie Coyle, but this week I have two. I watched Crimes of the Future and I watched Watcher. That's my, you might not have heard that one as much. I didn't even talk about it last week or the week before because I didn't know about it. It just kind of sprung up on me and then I saw it and I was like, oh, okay. It's kind of pleasantly surprised by that one, but we'll start with Crimes of the Future. If you don't know, again... Uh, I'll give you a quick synopsis of it. As the human species adapts to a synthetic environment, the body undergoes new transformations and mutations. Accompanied by his partner, celebrity performance artist, Saul Tenson showcases the metamorphosis of his organs. Meanwhile, a mysterious group tries to use Saul's notoriety to shed light on the next phase of human evolution. So I, like I told you, I was super excited for this. Having wanted to see it for a long time. And we finally got it. Didn't have to wait too long. And off one watch, I think I liked it quite a bit. I did not like it as much as I thought. And that's what we're going to get to in this review. Um, I had heard things before watching it that kind of alarmed me because it's Cronenberg. So, you know, I I was going in 100% into it all the way because, like I said, he's one of my favorite new guys that I found recently. Movies like The Fly and even Crash, which... I don't like as much as others, but I did enjoy a lot. But like Dead Ringers and Scanners, and that's a lot more I have to see, like Videodrome and History of Violence and Eastern Promises. So he's decorated. He's well-respected. He's known. And even, I wouldn't even consider this a miss, but even in one that's not as good as I thought, is I still enjoyed it a lot. It'll probably be one of my more enjoyed movies this year. But where did it go wrong for me? I guess just the story. And I'm not a big story person. I don't necessarily care if you know if your plot is perfect or anything like that because then i don't think that's the most important part of a movie i think how it makes you feel and and the images you're seeing that's all the important stuff the rest of the plot is just you know a means to an end that's how you get to your good stuff so so i don't necessarily care but i did think in this movie you know cronenberg is the king of the body horror right so i was expecting bloody gore i was expecting a lot of body horror a lot of prosthetics what I got was a very slick and um, I'll say stylized might be the wrong word, but that's kind of how I felt. It was it's set in the near future, so it makes sense that a lot of it is slick and sleek. And I love the contrast between like all of the like utensils and stuff that they use, but putting them in these like older buildings in like um, was it Romania I think or somewhere in that area. You can kind of feel like the history of the architecture while also having this like new modern or, you know, postmodern type of like 
equipment that they're using. I, I, I love that contrast, so I did think that worked. But I guess just in the body heart itself, it was one scene that, that I really loved with the man with a lot of, uh, <laughs> he has a lot of ears on his body because it's, it's about like basically surgery is the new sex is the tagline of the movie. And you have a lot of that going on. Um, and you have, a, you have a few surgery scenes and I guess it is pretty gruesome if you're not into that kind of thing, but nothing like I've been used to. And I was going back to the story. I guess the story is a lot of explaining and less about seeing. So like a lot of characters are sitting around talking about these ideas and a lot of the things that they're talking about, but they're not actually putting them into action, which I guess can kind of make you actually want to see what they're talking about instead of just hearing them talk about it. There's a lot of talking and I was kind of shocked. Not that Cronenberg doesn't have a lot of talking movies. I mean, Crash is a lot of talking, but it's also a lot of crashes. <laughs> it's a lot of car crashes and it's a lot of, crude stuff going on and maybe that's not what he was going for in this movie but i guess expectations can kind of rob you of something even though i don't think it was a bad movie at all but i don't think it delivered quite as uh as much as i thought it would but it does have a lot of good things going for it i do think leia sadu is the standout in terms of actors i thought that she was great and she kind of can't not be great and stuff she just she's just good in everything i've seen so far french dispatch this um uh, I thought she was fine in No Time to Die. You know, I didn't care for that movie that much, but I thought she was pretty good in it. But she was good. Viggo Mortensen as Saul Tensor was very good. He did a lot of physical acting with his body. Uh, and Leia kind of handled the emotion of it, but I did think he did pretty well. Kristen Stewart, I don't know what, I don't know. I would have told her to change her choice in terms of how she spoke and the voice she used. I don't think it was bad, but I think it was distracting. And maybe that was the point, but. I don't know. I I could it that's gonna be hit or miss for people, and it missed for me. But she did have one good scene with Vigo that I really liked, and I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, everybody else did pretty good. Um, there was one woman; it was a mother of a boy in the movie, and and that's a pretty big you know point. So I won't go into the details, but she was really good. And she only had like two or three scenes, so she kind of stole it a little bit too. Um, in terms of the lighting and how everything looked. Looked a little too glossy for me. I would have liked a little bit more like ruggedness, I guess, to the to the screen. It just looked a little too fake. And I'm just not used to that with Cronenberg. Everything looks real. And this one looked very much CGI based and uh sleeker style. And you know, like I said, it makes sense because of the era and because of the story that they're telling, but I don't know, it, it didn't suit me that way. And so when they were doing a lot of the cutting open scenes, a lot of the surgery stuff. It kind of looked a little fake to me, and I and and that kind of pulled me back, and it just wasn't. I just don't think it was graphic enough. I guess for, for what we know him for, I was like, eh, I would have, uh, I would have liked this to be a little different. I would have liked this to feel a little bit more, you know, real. I guess you could say, even though it's not. But I mean, crash wasn't real either. But every car crash feels like it's actually happening, and maybe it did, and maybe they just had stunt doubles or whatever. But it just felt like this was very glossy and it, you know, and that turned me off to it quite a bit, even though I still enjoyed the movie. Um, yeah, a lot of exposition, a lot of talking about ideas, a lot of talking about organizations, some crazy things happen. There's one scene that's, that's pretty ridiculous. And, you know, and that got over pretty well with me. Um, but you know, it, it, it's different. It's different than, what I think he usually does. And this is kind of his return to body horror. I don't think he's made one in a long time. So, you know, maybe he's going for a different aesthetic. 
and maybe he was going for like trying to get over different aspects in this one. I did think that um, it worked kind of well. Didn't work all that well for me. It's not a bad movie at all, like I said. But you know, I was holding it to the standard of The Fly and Crash and all the other stuff, and I'm sure Videodrome and and the rest of them. So, but taking it on its own merits in terms of the lighting and and the acting and the cinematography, I thought it was very good. I did love a lot of the shots. I loved a lot of the shots and the shot compositions where the actors were in the screen versus where the where the camera was showing. I thought that all of that was really good. And how and probably the best part of the movie was Howard Shore's um Howard Shore's score. Like he's Worker Cronenberg basically, I think in every movie or it, almost every movie but in, and and this one is right up there with some of his best it was absolutely wonderful. And I, I was like, wow, this is one of the best parts. And you don't hear a lot of great scores today. You hear a lot of generic music, but like a score that actually sits with you and it's, it fits the theme of the movie. That was great. And that that raised the movie up quite a bit to me. I was like, wow. Uh, it's the first thing you hear when the movie starts. You hear that score and I was like, wow, this is this is very good. So I was giving a lot of criticism. I want you, again, I don't want you to think I don't like it. It's, it's actually very good, but you know, you're holding it to comparisons with other stuff, and you're just like, wow. Well, it could, it could have been better in spots. I, th- I thought the acting was pretty good across the board. Chris Stewart made a, a an interesting choice that I probably would have went against if I was the director. Uh, thought the lighting was good. I thought the shot compositions were really good. Uh, I just thought the plot was, was more exposition than the actual story. And when you did get some of the surgery, those are the best scenes of the movies. Uh, one particular scene again with the guy with all the ears on his body and he's like dancing or whatever. And that's a great scene. So stuff like that, it really shines through and you can see like Cronenberg still has it, but overall, I think the story was, um, was interesting enough or at least what they did with it was interesting enough. I think the, the premise and everything was absolutely interesting. Cronenberg can help, but like come up with interesting premises to his films. But I just think the execution of this one maybe didn't get over as well as they thought. But still, a very, very good movie. I think I gave it four and a half on Letterboxd. And, like, four and a halves can be different. Fives can be different. Like, you can have a very high five and then, like, a very low five. Like, I try to explain to people when I give a movie a four and then another movie gets a four, that can be two very different fours. You know, one can be much higher, close to a four and a half, than the other one could be close to a three and a half. But they just kind of balance out to a four on both sides of that equation. And... I would love like different tiers inside, like three and a half, three, three and three fours, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, just to get it closer to what it actually is. But a four and a half is about where I put this movie. It's not perfect, but it is very good. And it's going to be one of my favorite movies of the year, probably at the end, unless everything just comes and blows it out the water, Um, which I can't see happen. Some movies could, but I can't see it happen. And this is lesser tier Cronenberg, but it still is like better than most stuff, or at least as interesting if not more interesting than most other things i've seen in a while and that's really pretty much what i go to movies for i just give me interesting stuff and then we can talk later about if it lands or if it doesn't and what works and what doesn't but how interesting is it like are you trying to do something if you try then i'm pretty much down with you and that's why i love cronenberg now because he's always trying even if it doesn't land he's gonna try something crazy and that's all I can ask for in these movies is trying to push, trying to push everything forward. You have to be, because I, what I hate more than a movie that just isn't good is a generic movie. 
even if it's okay, it's like it's so by the numbers. I can't gleam anything off of this other than, yeah, it's a movie we've seen before. And I'd much rather a movie that doesn't quite work all the way, but is at least trying something new, fresh, brand new. And then as opposed to, yeah, it's pretty good, but I've seen it like 10 times already. That's nothing to me. That's unoriginal. So, so Crimes of the Future, it's still in theaters. It just got there. Go watch it if you haven't. Uh, and watch more David Cronenberg, too, because he's great. Um, you know, and take everything I said with a grain of salt. You might like it differently. might find stuff in it that I didn't. So, And I've only seen it once, so you got to remember that, too. Moving on to the next one that I saw this weekend. It's called Watcher. This was by Chloe Okuno, starring Michael Monroe. I know her from It Follows. Uh, you might know her from other stuff, but that's where I know her from. And this is from IFC Films, Focus Features. Uh, oh, by the way, Crimes of the Future was from, distributed by Miramax, I think through Neon. So Neon got another interesting one on their list. And they're slowly catching up to A24 as the like, is the independent cinema boom uh, production company. That's where you go if you want your weird stuff. Neon, A24, you know, places like that. But Watcher. I'll give you a brief synopsis. As a serial killer stalks the city, a young actress who just moved a talented boyfriend notices a mysterious stranger watching her from across the street. Like I said, I had not, I knew nothing about this movie going in. I didn't even know it was out until my brother uh, kept asking me to go see it, and I didn't even know what it was. So then we went and saw it, and I was pleasantly surprised at, because I had literally no idea it existed. And I, you know, I had heard nothing about it, which is interesting because I'm, I think I'm pretty much tapped in. So to not even hear about this one or see anything about it, I was like, wow. It's, I'm watching this movie and we get to the end. It's about an hour and a half. I get to the end, I'm like, that was pretty good. That was actually pretty good. Um, I think that, first of all, I liked how it looked. It looked, it had spherical lenses. I knew this because I watch a lot of Studio Binder and they give you clues on like, if you want to know what lens is being used in a film, you can look out for these things. And the bokeh is one of the things that's like in the background when everything is like hazy, you can see like a light that's not being shown on properly and it'll give you like a little image of it. And if it's a circle, it's a, a spherical lens. If it's like a um, an oval, it's an anamorphic lens. And I saw in the background a lot of spherical lens, bokehs in the back. No lens flares, um, not really much distortion, and like in the in the fall off of the picture, in terms of like what's in the foreground, what's in the background, you you'll see like a character, and then the background, and depending on how like sharp that line is between the background and the foreground, that's how you know it's a spherical lens. And this one was very sharp, as opposed to an anamorphic lens where where, where the main subject kind of blends in a bit more into the uh, background. It's not as sharp a line. It doesn't look as um, distorted. So that's an anamorphic lens. And and this is a spherical lens because almost like it nines out, you can see like how the character is kind of like protruding from the background. So I noticed that it's, it's a very good picture. Very, very nice colors. And I liked a lot of the, um, I liked a lot of the shot compositions. I liked a lot of the, of the use of windows because it's about a stalker and, and they wanted to kind of give you that feel of like somebody's always watching. So a lot of window shots, big windows in the house that the main character's in. Um, I did, like I said, I liked a lot of shots. I liked some of the colors. Um, 
I, I liked, I think I liked the story. I did think they could have got more mileage out of like what was actually going on. A lot of the scenes were just her sitting around looking at the stalker, looking back. And, but I did think it, it unfolded pretty well. I, I did think that it kept you guessing and stuff was happening and you didn't see it coming. Or even if you did, it, it made sense. So, um, I, I did like how the story unfolded in terms of like what was happening. The parts that I, did, I, I didn't like was the ending. I didn't really vibe with the ending. I won't spoil it because it's new and you can go see it for yourself. I didn't like how the ending happened. I didn't think that that was the right choice with the material. I thought that something else could have been done there and it would have been more interesting and, and it would have made more sense. And, you, and it would have been a bit more nuanced, I think. I'm always looking for nuance in movies and you know, not telling the audience everything, letting them figure out stuff on their own. And when you telegraph it like that, it's kind of like, eh, you know. Um, I think we're putting a hat on the hat. We just didn't need to say everything we were saying in the, at the end. But in terms of the acting, I think everybody did fine, you know. I think everybody did fine. I think the stalker guy was, pr- was really good. He had a very menacing look. He looked like a weirdo, but, you know, it fits perfectly. And, and I thought he played it good. Um, my biggest gripe is probably the ending. I just think that we could have done something different there. And the lighting, like I said, it was pretty much realistic in terms of how it would have looked, you know, in these houses, on these streets. And and I think they went for, for a very natural feel. It wasn't too much stylized or anything like that. I like the, I like this. I like all of the supporting characters. I like all of the people surrounding this girl and her boyfriend. They deal with this stalker guy. Um, I lo- I love the setting. I think it was uh, Hungary, Bucharest, I believe. And it was very beautiful architecture, very beautiful house. I loved all of that. Um, but yeah, I just think the ending kind of took me out of it. And I was like, um, I, I personally would have done something different. But um, very surprising, very good movie. Very good. Um, I can't remember. I think I give it either four or three and a half on letterbox um because i think how you start and how you finish is very important and i really like the beginning love the opening credits scene i love when a movie gives you something to watch during opening credits instead of just credits keeps you involved in the movie while they're getting the credits out so i like the beginning i like a lot of the direction how it moves throughout the streets and how everything is happening and the camera following these people and um i just think the ending could have been thought out more and we could have done something different but yeah i don't have much to say about it without spoiling too much but um yeah yeah i I thought it was really good and it really surprised me um with how good it actually was so watcher you can go watch that that's a good little movie to watch and crimes of the future really good movie i recommend both um yeah so those are the two movies i saw this weekend Again, Michael C. Top Gun Maverick. I've been saying that for like the past three weeks. Uh, we'll see. This probably be the last weekend to try just because after this weekend, if I don't, then I don't know. It might not happen, but we'll see. Um, during the Watcher uh, trailers, as we were waiting for the movie to come on, they showed two trailers of movies that I had no idea about. And again, I'm pretty tapped in. So me not knowing about these is interesting because... I usually have heard about pretty much most American movies. And, and one of these is an American, so that makes sense. But I've usually heard about most American movies before they're coming out. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm just that 
involved, I guess. But I didn't hear about these two. I want to talk about these and something else after this because I think it's important when we um when you come across things that you might not have known about and you find yourself actually liking something and what that can do and the world that can take you into. And the the first trailer we saw was Vengeance, and it was the movie by B.J. Novak. If you don't know who B.J. Novak is, he was Udovich in, in Glorious Bastards um, with Brad Pitt at the end of that movie. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch Glorious Bastards. It's amazing by Quentin Tarantino. But um, he was Private Udovich. Um, and I guess he directed this and wrote it, or maybe co-wrote it. And to give you a quick rundown, it says, A journalist and podcaster travels from New York City to Texas to investigate the death of a woman whom he hooked up with. This is B.J. Novak, like I said, Dove Cameron, Boyd Holbrook, who I have a lot of stock in from Narcos and Logan. And he's going to be in the new Indiana Jones movie uh, directed by James Mangold. So he's about to get very famous, uh, hopefully. Uh, you know, I hope that works out. Issa Rae is in this. Uh, and Ashton Kutcher, who I, I can't remember the last time Ashton Kutcher has been in a movie. So that's very exciting. And that was one of the reasons I was so excited about it. Cause I was like, Ashton Kutcher's in this. Then, you know, I've been watching a lot of that 70s show lately. And Ashton Kutcher is that guy. Uh, everybody from that show is good with me. So anytime they're in something, Topher Grace, Laura Prepper, Mila Kunis, Danny Masterson, even though he probably won't be in none for a long time. <laughs> Ashton Kutcher, uh, one more Valderrama. I haven't seen him in anything either, uh, except your mama. But, but that was a long time ago. But Vengeance, um, yeah, it looks like a comedy, satire, like thriller, or like um, a whodunit, like set in Texas in the desert with Ashton Kutcher and Issa Rae and uh, Dove Cameron and Boyd Holbrook. It looked so fun. It looks so interesting. And, that's all, and again, it's that word that comes up, interesting. If it looks interesting, I'm down. And you know what? It almost feels like, it feels like what The Lost City was going to be. I mean, I know a lot of people like the movie. I like parts of it, but this feels like what that was going to be. And it's not the same movie at all, but that's just the feeling. And I remember watching that trailer for Lost City and, and really want to see that too. And and I think just like Brad Pitt not being in it more, I was like, yeah, he probably should have been in this movie more. Uh, I I enjoyed him the most, but that's what Vengeance feels like. I feel like that's what that's going to be for me. And the Lost City made a lot of money. So, you know, kudos to them, but. This feels interesting, feels funny. Uh, I feel like it actually has a few things to say while also being in the flow of the story. You know, and, and I, it's, it's one trailer. It could be bad, but I was just so intrigued with it, um, you know, and how it made me feel. And in the moment, I was like, wow. And again, not knowing about it, that's kind of the big thing. I was like, I had no idea about this movie and no idea it existed. And then I see it and I'm like, wow. Okay, I see a trailer. Like that's what a trailer's supposed to do. It's supposed to get you involved, and it didn't tell a lot. I don't. I don't think it told too much at all. Uh, I probably won't want to see another trailer because I don't want to spoil anything for myself. And trailers today just can't help but give you everything. But I was super into it, and that was that was the first trailer. And then right after that, another trailer comes up called Official Competition. This is directed by Gaston Duprat and Mariana Cohn. They're both Argentinian, um, starring uh, Penelope Cruz, Oscar Martinez, Antonio Banderas. Those are the three big ones. And um, Jose Luis Gomez and, you know, 
a bunch of big name, you know, foreign actors and actresses, but also in America, because, um, like I said, Penelope Cruz and Antonio Banderas, they're well known over here too, and are both I think Oscar nominated. Penelope Cruz, Oscar winner, I believe. In this movie, it says a wealthy businessman hires a neurotic director to produce his crown achieve, crowning achievement, a brilliant art film. So Penelope Cruz from the trailer, like she's the director. Oscar Martinez looks like he's going to be playing the like very prestigious like um, stage actor. Like he's not in movies, you know. He's been on the stage like for about 40, 35, 40 years. He's very respected and has many accolades. And then Antonio Banderas looks like he's playing the like big movie star. So, like, you know, he's there. He's trying to get the Oscar. He's trying to do all the, you know, he's a star. And they're going to bump heads. Another comedy, uh, Penelope Cruz being being the director, not of the movie, but of the movie in the movie itself. Uh, it looks like all three of them are going to be trying to get this movie made. And they're going to take something from each other in terms of, of, of the two actors. And she's there to kind of guide all of it. Looks very funny. Looks satirical. It's like kind of a darker comedy, but uh, very interesting. Antonio Banderas, Penelope Cruz, those two names right there. Uh, again, I had heard nothing of this, and I thought I was pretty tapped into the um, into the foreign scene too. Not as much, I will admit, not as much as as the American movies, but some. You know, I, I pretty I pretty much know most of the big stuff that's going to come out foreign at least this year. Uh, and apparently this movie came out last year, so it already has a $1.7 million box office, uh, but it's going to drop here June 17th. Oh, I didn't tell you about the last one. Vengeance is also going to drop, uh, let me see here, July 29th. So both of these are coming up. But official competition, yeah. A movie about movies, about making movies, that's right up my alley. Foreign or otherwise, I'm into that all the way, so... Both both of those really caught my eye, and I was looking at Jeff, and I was like, "Wow, I heard neither one of those, and I'm into both of them." Before we were watching this movie that I had never heard of, so it was all kind of happening, you know, at once, and and that's the best feeling when you like when you come across this stuff and you had no idea, and all of it piques your interest, and you find a a decent to good movie, you know, and I was like, "Wow, you know, that's." That's kind of what we do all this for. Hopefully you find stuff that you had no idea about and it takes you there where you're like, wow, I, I literally had no idea this stuff was happening. And uh, I'm glad I came because that's what they're for. That's what the trailers are for. Now, mostly we see trailers that we already know about or we've seen 13 times. But on this particular Sunday, watching this movie or going to see this movie I didn't know about, I see two trailers I heard nothing about. And I was surprised by both and want to see both. That's that's why you do it. And I wanted to talk about that, uh, about finding things that you had no idea about. Finding things that, or they kind of found you. Um, because, watch, because watching those trailers, watching Watcher, it took me back to, I think, early 2019. I remember I was sitting in my room on scrolling through Netflix and I come across a movie called The Master from 2012 by Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, mind you, Paul Thomas Anderson is one of my favorite directors ever. But back then, I don't think I had seen many of his movies. This might have been my first Paul Thomas Anderson movie, to be honest with you. It was either early 2019, late 2018. It was it was 2019, I believe. So I come across Netflix, 
and I see the master sitting there. It's two hours, 24 minutes. I'm like, what is this? Um, and I'll read you a little bit. It says, Freddie Quell is a troubled, boozy drifter struggling with the trauma of World War II and whatever inner demons ruled his life before that. On a fateful night in 1950, Freddie boards a passing boat and meets Lancaster Dodd, the charismatic leader of a religious movement called the, Co- called the Cause. Freddie tries hard to adhere to Dodd's weird teachings and form a close bond with his mentor, even as other members of Dodd's inner circle sees him as a threat. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but let's give it a chance. And I watched it. Literally, no idea what this was. And I remember being like, what is this? Like, I don't know what this is. And I don't know why I love this so much. And I've seen it twice since then, or I've seen it once since then, since watching it the first time. Like, I've seen it again. And it's an absolutely perfect movie. It's absolutely perfect. And I think it's Paul Thomas Anderson's best movie. If you don't know Paul Thomas Anderson, Anderson, He's made movies like Boogie Nights, Punch Drunk Love, Magnolia, uh, There Will Be Blood, which is probably his most famous, and Hair and Vice, which I think is a perfect movie and up there in terms of his best. Um, his most re- recent movie was last year, Licorice Pizza, which I absolutely love. It was my favorite movie of last year. He's made Hard Eight, and I think I'm forgetting one. The Master. Yeah, yeah. I think I named them all. Um, very decorated as one of the best American directors of the past 25 to 30 years. Uh, very well respected. And the master is one of his masterpieces. Even though everyone says there will be blood is probably his best. I think his best movie is the master and followed by that. I probably think it's in here advice, which people think a lot of people think is his, maybe his worst movie. Uh, people love his early, his late nineties stuff like Boogie Nights, Magnolia and Heart Eight. Uh, 2002, he made Punch Drunk Love, so he started the transition. Oh, I forgot one. Phantom Threat. How could I forget Phantom Threat? Which is, is another one of his masterpieces that a lot of people absolutely love, which I understand. Um, I think I will do a ranking here, and this is spread a moment, but I want to talk about the master real quick uh, before I give you a, a little PTA ranking. That might be an episode on its own, though. I might do that later and just talk about all of his movies and him as a director in its own episode i actually think i might do that yeah I w- we'll probably hold that off that'll that might be next weekend just because i've been thinking about him a lot recently but but talking about the master uh, i remember watching it that that afternoon that day in my room and being like i don't know what this was i don't know what this is i don't even know who this is that made it but i absolutely love this and that's and that's kind of the idea i wanted to touch on this idea that finding things in terms of art can kind of happen out of nowhere kind of happen like that but then it opens you up to a whole new world and it showed me about paul thomas anderson who went on to become one of my favorite directors i wouldn't have known him at least not as soon as i had if i didn't just watch that movie that day and what made me want to watch that movie that day i don't know it just kind of happens like that you know you're just scrolling through stuff you see something interesting but almost almost like i don't know what interests me because we, I think we talked about this before in terms of my likes and what I like and all of that stuff. And, and, you know, all of that is true and it's factual and it sounds good. But still, like, I don't think me in 2019 would have wanted to watch The Master. And because it, it was too serious, I wasn't that serious in the movies, at least not as much as I am now, even though I'm starting to get into them. But that seems so serious and so, um, you know, it seemed long and tedious and. I just read it on Netflix, saw a quick scene, because, you know, on Netflix, they'll show you a little scene. And then I just was like, wow, I want to watch this. Turned it on, and it 
opened up my world. And I find that so interesting. I'm I'm not usually a person who would try new things, especially when it comes to food and even adventures. I'm a very precocious person. I'm not trying to really take too many chances and risks. I would like to take more of them uh, slowly and steadily, but big stuff, I'm using my intro. Um, I'm a picky eater too, so I don't really try a lot of foods. I tend to know what I like and know what I don't. And I'm not quick to try new things, but with movies that day, I guess it was like that too. You know, I, I watched a lot of the famous stuff like The Big Lebowski and Pulp Fiction and all that kind of stuff. And The Master is kind of famous in some circles, but not 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 like those those movies are kind of beloved. So I was watching a lot of that Reservoir Dogs stuff like that, uh, The Shining. I remember this time period. I was really starting to get into the older stuff. And I just came across The Master, watched them like what. This came out seven years ago, at that time, seven years ago, and it's inventive, and it's different, and it's new, and it's unique. I'm like, wow, I've never seen nothing like this. And it gave me everything I needed to go and explore different stuff. I'll pair it with another movie that I have talked about here, Eight and a Half. I mentioned it on my Letterbox Top 4. And fast forward, I think, maybe two years later from 2019... To where now I'm into older stuff and different stuff, and not you know not even just older stuff, but a different kind of movie watcher. To where I'm not just watching the popular stuff. I'm watching the stuff. Anything encompasses in that the, or anything I want to be encompassed in that the, and uh, even even stuff that might not necessarily interest me, I'll still try it because you never know. So. It's 2021 at this point, and I watched Eight and a Half. Now, this is a different experience because this is a movie I knew about um, beforehand. I knew I wanted to watch it. It was about a movie director and his life. So that was going to interest me because I love movies about movies. But I'm watching this one, or, or at least, you know, I've heard about this, and I want to watch it by Federico Fellini, one of the masters of um, of Italian, you know, movies, of Italian cinema. Uh yeah, he's Italian. <laughs> I had to make sure, like, yeah, Rome, Italy. Um, so I've I've heard about this, and I've heard about La Dolce Vita. I've heard about all of his big stuff, but Eight and a Half was the one that interested me the most because it was, a, like I said again, it was about a movie director, and that's always going to intrigue me. So I read to you: this troubled Italian filmmaker Guido Anselmi struggles with creative stasis as he attempts to get a new movie off the ground. Overwhelmed by his work and personal life, the director treats retreats into his thoughts and often focuses on his loves, both past and present and frequently wandering into fantastical territory. As he tries to sort out his many entanglements, romantic and otherwise, Anselmi finds his production becoming more and more autobiographical. I watched this movie, and as it moves along, you, I started to notice things I had never seen in movies before. And, and like I said, I talked about this, I won't stay on it too long, but just to kind of pair it with the master, the movies are not that similar. Like, one is Black and White from 1963, and has a lot of like fantastical stuff happening, a lot of like uh, forced perspective, a lot of POV, a lot of like going in and out of dreams, a lot of surrealism. And then the other one is this kind of straightforward movie about a lost soul and this guy who collects lost souls and then figuring out that this guy, um, maybe not as lost as he thinks, or maybe they both are. Who's the master of your destination? Who's the master of your future? Is it you or is it something else? Is it something else playing, you know, at a at, at a larger pace and uh controlling everything for you and i think that's kind of the conversation the movie has so anamorphic lenses absolutely beautiful 
set in the fifties, um, it's a it's a completely different thing. Or it's, it's completely they're two completely different movies, but for me they represent kind of a um, an an opening of sorts, just showing me what all of this medium has to offer, and that's why I think it's so important, and that's why I think that who's this podcast for really is film it's the medium of film you know i I say that every week who's the podcast for or some weeks but really ultimately it's for me in this podcast moving forward it's about film and i hope for anybody watching too how important it is it might not be as important to you and i get that because some things just hit you more than others i i could have told you (laughs) i couldn't have told you seven years ago i would be this uh invested in this in this art form but i am so much so that I want to actually make them myself. That's how much it's it's spoken to me, you know. And that's not going to be everybody. Everybody's not going to feel that. But you might feel it for music. You might feel it for, you know, poetry. You might feel it for graffiti. You might feel it for dancing. You might feel it for any kind of art form. You might feel it for something that's not even art. You might feel it for, like, you know, your job or your career. But how passionate you are about something kind of leads you to different places. Um, and with movies... I slowly found my stuff starting to be like, you know, I like this, I like this, I like this. Then I watched The Master and I said, wow, like, I didn't even know that exists. And then I watched Eight and a Half. So I didn't even know you could do that in a movie. I don't even know how they did that. And those two things took it to a whole nother level. In different levels, and, you know, it varied. Because The Master took me somewhere that wasn't as big of a jump. Eight and a Half took me somewhere that was a gigantic leap. But they both were important in my assessment of movies and how they've made me into the movie watcher I am today. And I still don't haven't seen everything. You, you're never going to see everything. It's too many movies. And being a cinephile, as I, I think I consider myself one, is an ever-growing, it's a constant involvement. You know, and it, it, it never stops. You know, and you, you're never going to see everything. Everything's going to be changing all the time. There's always going to be a new movie out. It's always going to be something else to watch. Hopefully at the end of your life, you've seen so much of it. If you're into that kind of thing and you want to do that, then, you know, hopefully you've seen enough to where you say, I at least have a grasp on what this art form is. And I'd like to think I do too. You know, last week we talked about the movies. Uh, we talked about all, all of the books I've been buying, like actually studying and books now becoming fun for me because of what they're talking about. It's almost taking on its, its own kind of life form, this, this kind of study that I'm in and I didn't feel it for anything in school. I didn't feel it most of my life in any kind of art, you know, music, actually video games and music when I was very young were were the things of video games, especially were like their own world. And then as I grew up and grew out of that music kind of took over and I wanted to actually do something in that. And then that kind of passed. And I was wondering what's actually going to stick. I think it's the movies thing. And, you know, it takes time to figure out what it is you actually, want but i think you should let it speak to you and if it does then it's telling you this is what it should be trying to force it is usually gonna end up with a recipe for disaster so yeah all that to say um continue to try new things continue to push yourself out of your comfort zone i'm speaking to myself on that too and just uh opening allowing yourself to open up to new things if it's not food if it's not movies whatever it is in your life that you like a lot Try to find something that maybe you think I probably wouldn't like that if I, you know, experienced it and then experienced it anyway. And then maybe you'll come across something that you thought you wouldn't like. And then you figure out that you loved it. And then maybe that'll open up something else in your mind. 
about what you actually love. So that's what I got for that. I just want to touch on that real quick. Like I said, next week we'll probably do a PTA uh, ranking and we'll talk about his career. Uh, one of my favorite, probably one of my top five favorite directors of all time. Uh, coming up next, we're going to get into some music talk. Uh, I'm actually going to give you some thoughts on Kendrick's latest album. It's been a few weeks. I've listened to it consistently over and over for weeks. So I actually have some thoughts on that and a little bit of a music hot take. If you, you know, if you'll consider it one, you might, but I don't think it is. Um, and then a bit of NBA finals and who I think is going to win. We won't go through each game. Two games have already happened by the time this will go up. So we won't go through each game, but there is a game tonight. Uh, and I just want to get who I think will win and how many games. And that'll be it. I won't I won't go into it too much. But, yeah, that's what we got. And then maybe a movie hot take. I might have one or two. So we'll be back really quick. All right, we're back. And like I said, I wanted to talk about the latest Kendrick Lamar album, which is Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. It came out a few weeks ago. What day did that come out? May 13th, 2022. Um, so, yeah. I, I don't know if I've talked about this much on the pod. I know I've mentioned it. I've been listening to it a lot, and I have been. But here's what I want to say. I'll just go ahead and say it. Is this Kendrick Lamar's best like album from a story perspective and all of that. Well, I think that'll vary. I think most people probably say, no, it's not to people. Butterfly, good kid, man city still is. Um, I don't know about that. I, I, I don't mean I disagree with that sentiment. I'm just saying, I don't know w- what people will say, but here's my music. hot take. It's sonically his best album. It's the best album he's made to be able to listen to on an in and out basis. I, love Kendrick Lamar's music I think he's one of the best ever but his albums I don't think and this is might be another hot take have that much replayability as in I'm going back I don't know the last time I listened to Pimple Butterfly all the way through I haven't listened to Good Kid Man City in a few years but to be fair when it came out I listened to it so much so you can get burned out on things but and you know both of those are absolutely wonderful albums to Pimple Butterfly is one of the best albums ever but how listenable is it? How sonically pleasing to the ear is it? This album, Mr. Around the Big Steppers, from front to back, is sonically his most pleasing sound he's ever made. From United in Grief to Die Hard. I put Worldwide Steppers in that too, but that's a little eccentric. That's a little weird. Die Hard, Father Time is an absolutely beautiful song that gets everything he's trying to say perfectly uh, without being too dense, but still having, you know, He's talking about a lot of interesting stuff. Rich Spirit is just a banger of a song. We Cry Together, sonically pleasing, even though what they're saying to each other might not be pleasing. Purple Hearts, those drums and that uh, instrumentation in that one is absolutely beautiful. Count Me Out is another great song. Silent Hill with Kodak Black. A club banger. You can play it in the club. You can play it by yourself. But then under it, the instrumentation is still there, so it's sonically beautiful. Savior is another song that's absolutely it knocks and it's hard and it's it and again underneath it's like you you think it's just like you know club beats or trap beats or whatever underneath it has all of this sonic 
all of this sonically pleasing instrumentation and it just works and then auntie diaries what he's talking about may not be pleasing to you but that sound underneath and that like airy kind of like introspective instrumentation beautiful mother i sober is a beautiful song and mirror is sonically pleasing like again like mirror what he's saying in that song is it's you know it's nice and and i I think the writing is great on this album some of his best writing he's ever done but the instrumentation and and how they put these songs together and how they layer these songs on top of one each other and it actually does have a story going back to the story point um it's not like to pimple butterfly we're talking to tupac and good kid mad city's like the it's the day in a life but it's about him going to therapy having a breakthrough going through all of these you know issues he has so it actually has an underlying story from united grief to mirror you can trace a story throughout that entire thing so i I don't think it's missing in a story i I think it has a lot going for it actually but sonically it's better than any album he's put out i think because like you listen to it and i just want to play these songs over and over it's songs on here i literally put them on repeat and i play over and over um if you go back to like rigor mortis that's a song that you could play over and over and he you know he has he has some great sonically sounding albums i think good Kid, man city is a great album damn has a lot of good sounds on it right um what is this section 80 that's another one with a lot of good sounds um to people butterfly a little bit less to me it's a little bit more of a conceptual album that's not meant to be played you know, pick your favorite songs throughout. You're supposed to kind of let that go. This, you can pick your favorite songs or you can let it go. With only a few misses, like N95 is probably the only miss of the album to me. Um, Crown is a, you know, it's there for a reason. You know, can't please everybody. That song has something going in. It has a nice, like, under underlying piano thing going on there. But, but the sounds on this album, even the interludes are interesting. You know, sonically. I, I just mean sonically. Like, even the interludes are interesting. Even though the Savior interlude is probably my least favorite song with N95. Uh, Rich interlude is pretty good with Kodak, but Savior interlude and Crown and N95 are probably my least three favorite songs. And Rich interlude too. I thought I didn't know. But Die Hard is a a beautiful bop of a song. He's talking about real stuff and it has great underlying vocals on it. Like this album sonically is his best work. It's his best sounding album. And it's why I've listened to it over and over and over again for the past few weeks. Um, uh, it might be the best album of this year. Earl Swisher had a great album. Saba hit me very hard with this album. I didn't think that he was going to have that good of an album. Um, so, yeah, I, I I think it's sonically his best album. Um, and, I'm, and that may or may not be a hot take. I don't know. It's, it's up to you to the side there, but I think it's his best album. Um, and for the movie hot take, I'm trying to figure out um, what would actually be my movie hot take. I, I don't. I thought I'd have one by now. I don't think I do. And I don't. I don't want to force it. If I don't have one, then I'm, I'm, just, I'm not going to make something up. But um, I, I, I think the music hot take will work pretty good. That Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers is sonically Kendrick's best album. I think that works because I, I think a lot of people would disagree. I think that album has gotten mixed reviews, even though. It's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an absolutely wonderful album. I, I don't understand. I think because he took so much time off that you might consider it a bit of a letdown. I actually think otherwise. I actually think it's it's quite good. It's very good. It's better than Damn. And I listen to it more than any of the other ones. So 
I think that says a lot about it. Um, all right, moving on here really quick before we get out of here. I didn't have much today for you. Um, I have a few things. So NBA Finals. If you've been keeping up with the finals, it's 1-1 Golden State and Boston. Game three is tonight at the time of recording, which is Wednesday. Um, and they're going to Boston, back to Boston. Boston took game one. Golden State won game two. And they're going back to Boston for game three. I think, not to get into too many specifics because, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't matter that much. Um, I'll probably just say a winner and keep it moving. I might keep you updated, but I think Golden State will win this uh, finals. I think they're going to win in six. Could be five, but I don't want to push it. Boston's not a good home team. They've lost many home games this year in the playoffs. Golden State was a great home team going into the finals. They were 8-0. But they did lose game one under in an otherworldly shooting from Boston that just kind of came out of nowhere. You can't expect that because it didn't happen in game two. Um, and I don't think it'll happen in game three either. But, um, yeah, I think Golden State takes this in five or six games. And, um, yeah, I, I just don't think, I don't, I don't think Boston's offense can keep up with Golden State's. I don't think so. And I think Golden State defense is good enough to keep up with Boston, as we've seen in the first two games. Outside of the fourth quarter in game one, they really didn't do well. I mean, it was a back-and-forth nip-tuck game, but that that fourth quarter in game one was the reason. That's why they lost. When everybody was making everything and you, you had to – nobody was missing. I think they hit 9 of 12 from 3. You're not going to beat a team – if they scored 40 points in the fourth quarter. And they didn't do it in game two. They missed shots, and and the defense didn't, didn't just leave them open, which they did in game one. Just trying to test them and see, like, are you going to actually make these shots or not? Game three tonight, I expect more Steph Curry. He's averaging 31 points in the series. He's going for the finals MVP. He's trying to get it. He doesn't have one, and he wants it badly, and I think he's going to get it. And if they win tonight, if they if Golden State wins tonight, I, it might go five because I think they could win again in Boston and then they can close this out back at Golden State. Um, so tonight is a big one for, for both teams. Boston could win tonight too. You know, I'm not I'm not giving them no hope. Jason Tatum has been decent this series, but he hasn't been as good as we thought it was. Well, people thought it was. NBA hot take: Jason Tatum's overrated. That might not be a hot take, but if you know NBA, especially this year, people have gassed him up so much. I think he's really good. He's not ready yet. He takes a lot of bad shots. And the playmaking has gotten better. But he still takes so many bad shots. And he turns the ball over. But both of these teams do. Also, that's a big one. Whoever wins the the rebounding battle and the turnover battle will win the game tonight. And I think that'll be Golden State. They get more offensive rebounds, I think. And when they get offensive rebounds, it's like daggers because they make the next three. That's demoralizing. And again, Boston has not been that good at home. They're actually better on the road, so. But we'll see. I have Golden State winning tonight. I have Golden State winning the series. I'll keep you updated on that. Um, and uh, let's see here. That's all I got. That's all I got. But um, to finish this off, we'll do we'll go over watch list. What to watch next? I think this week, Jurassic World Dominion is coming out. I think. I'm going to pull up AMC one more time. I always wait too late to do this, but I know you guys want to know. Because without me, you know, you wouldn't even know what movie coming out. You know what I'm talking about? So, I, you know, 
I keep y'all up to date on this stuff, so you know it, it ain't no problem. You know, it ain't no problem. Let's see here. I'll go to Friday, June tenth. Jurassic World Dominion. Yep, it's coming out. Will I see that? I don't know. I still gotta see Top Gun. And these both have so many damn showings. It's insane to me how many showings these have. And then you take showings away from stuff like Downton Abbey with one showing and Crime to the Future with four showings. Everything ever all at once. Might see that again. Honestly, I, I could see that again. That was a fantastic movie. Um, but yeah, that seems like that's the only new thing coming out this week. Uh, so, you know, not too much. I might see that, and I might see Top Gun. If I don't see it this week, I'm not. Like I said, I'm not going to do that to you anymore. We're just going to move on. Because <laughs> I know you're tired of hearing about it. Are you tired of hearing about it? You might not be. You might not care. But, you know. Well, that's all I got. Um, I'm not going to stretch it. Watch more movies. Try new things. Go outside. Read something. You know. Handle your business. Have a good rest of your week, you know, and um, yeah, that's all I got. Who's this podcast for? This podcast is for trying new things, in particular, trying new movies. So let's get that going. Let's get that movement going. Let's try new movies. Anyways, that's it. Thank y'all so much. Peace.